welcome to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast. This week, I'm joined by Edie Edens, uh, a senior research compliance consultant working for First Class Solutions. Uh, Edie, you and I first spoke God, way back before Christmas now, I think it was. We um, did, we did. How have things been going on your side of the pond? Um, <laughs> right? Since we spoke, how, how was Christmas and, and New Year? I mean, Christmas and New Year's, at least for me, I was I was blessed to have a quiet one and to be able to appropriately distance. And uh, I think as I've shared with you in passing, you know, I have a family full of healthcare professionals, mm. um, many of whom have actually already gotten vaccinated. So this has been a really powerful time. Um, but it's also been a really hard time in the United States. Not everyone has that picturesque version of Christmas. You know, there were a lot of large gatherings that didn't happen. Um, I actually heard the most unique story I heard over and over from friends was older relatives who were clearly vulnerable and mm -hmm. the entire family was happy to not have the normal gatherings because they want to protect grandma, right? Yep. But grandma doesn't want to stay home. Grandma's like, look, I'm 95. This is how I go. This is how I go. But staying at home for another holiday this year, that's depressing. I don't want to do that. Mm. And the family's going, but grandma, I mean, what if we give you the virus? What if we get you sick? You know, what, what we can't have that on our conscience. And that was actually how a lot of families were struggling to decide what to do, right? Yeah. Like who was gonna get to it and who wasn't. Um, and I was like, oh man, that's a tough one. That's one I didn't face. I have so many healthcare folks in my family. They're like, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're sequestering. Mm. You come here, you wait a week, you do this, we're vaccinated. It was like, oh, this is clean and dry. Yeah, um, it's a tough one. I guess for, for us, we were almost right up until sort of um christmas like 23rd i think it was the government said initially everything was going to be three days over christmas or five days i can't remember exactly we were going to be able to get together and in, mix with house well then didn't they just shut you guys then, down all the way right at the last minute they just pulled it pulled it out and then just said that's it actually christmas is cancelled like you can't meet up at all um and everyone was having that exact same conversation you know there was you know, grandparents saying, well, look, it's all very good saying, you know, we're doing this so that you can see your loved ones next Christmas. But what if we're not here? Yeah, <laughs> next absolutely. There's a huge debate over here. Well, and the difference for us is because, you know, we have like a larger country, right? And states and the way our federal and state law works, not to go all lawyer, but to, mm. to bridge into the professional, it's up to each state. It's up to each state what level of restrictions they have. It's up to each state how they distribute the vaccine. Mm. Um, what they So, you know, you do have some states that came right out and said, I mean, any gatherings over whatever, three people, five people, like, seriously, you'll be ticketed and fined. Like, we are not allowing it. We're going to make that decision for you. Yeah. Other states still had restaurants open, bars open, maybe in a restricted capacity or masks required. But, but I mean... And you saw, obviously, last week, I mean, we had, you know, huge rallies, politically oriented, but, you know, un unmasked in the Capitol. Obviously, it turned into a tragic event for us, and I don't want to focus on that, um, sad as it is. But so there's still this different, like, varying level of adoption, yeah. which then, of course, up against varying levels of ways that we're administering the vaccine in these states as well. That's really hard. I don't envy I do not envy state or federal government right now in trying to pick what's right for each locale. Um, yeah. and, and it's and some states are doing it county by county because obviously some counties are massively populated whereas others are very rural. So what's right for one isn't right for another. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's been really difficult. Our numbers are not better, um, yeah. not at all, not yet. We are nowhere close to out of the woods and a lot of unfortunately the US-based public health experts are saying we, we might actually get a little worse before we get better, um, especially with this sense of whew, new year, 2020 is behind us. Oh, we got a vaccine now, we're gonna be mm. fine. And then of course you're seeing this new mutation and variation um, that's spreading even faster and that was not necessarily a part of the vaccine trial. Now that doesn't mean it won't help against it. It just doesn't mean it will. We don't have all yeah. that information yet. Um, well, I guess on on that yeah matter of the the vaccine and you mentioned that the legal side of things um sort of a, a second ago i mean to delve into to what you do just give us a quick yeah, overview absolutely of, absolutely you know, so i'm clinical research <laughs> consultant i know like what does that really mean what is that as my husband lovingly says like what do you really do yeah, does anyone what, know what, what you really that? do <laughs> so i'm a lawyer by trade 
Um, I, I'm a licensed attorney. I also have um, a, a master's in international research ethics. And I was well on my way in my educational uh, journey to actually doing compliance as it related to international human rights law. Mm-hmm. And, and was quite happy with that. Uh, the US was facing a recession at the time. And so, you know, job situations, job searching was a, a unique situation. But I really was loving what I was doing and had just this very unexpected nine months unemployment period before I was to pick up my next job in, in the, the mm-hmm. international law world. And someone said, you know, and yeah. I had gone to a law school that had a great health law program. It's where I teach now. It's phenomenal. And taken advantage of it, even with my whole health law family. And someone I knew from school who is still a colleague to this day, I still have the, the absolute pleasure to teach with her, uh, said, hey, I, I've got a contract position at the academic medical center and Mm. and she was i mean she knew she was health law she went to law school to do how like she had that vision right i did not i was like let's see what happens uh and so uh she said you know i need an irb consultant and i i know you're smart enough i trust you this is a bit of a sensitive situation so there's some politics it's even more important that i trust Mm. the applicant and it fits with what you're doing you know at the end of nine months you can walk away go do your international law work like um, so I was actually mm-hmm. a contract IRB consultant before I really even knew what an IRB was. Uh, and that's not to throw shade at the AMC for hiring me. You know, they hired me for the right reasons. I agree with, I agree with the hire. Um, and I fell in love. In that nine months, it was like the greatest challenge I'd ever had, even more than I loved international law and the human rights work I was doing. And it was just right place, right time, right people had um, an absolute, I could see the emotional intelligence and the people that surrounded me. It was a dream team of mentors that I'm so blessed to literally still to this day be friends with, um, as well as colleagues of. And so I spent the next decade inside the Academic Medical Center doing everything from enterprise-wide research compliance. So when we think about human research mm-hmm. protection programs, IRBs across a you know really broad variety of social behavior, all the way into biomedical health. I was at an Academic yeah. Medical Center that has the largest by volume medical school in the United States has a comprehensive mm-hmm. cancer center attached, right? Um, and again, working across IRB, quality assurance, auditing, clinical research compliance, research, conflicts of interest, all those really broad areas that, I mean, you have to have that nailed down uh, if you're gonna participate yeah. in research and was in grants and contracts as well. And then I had the pleasure to be, actually be placed inside the comprehensive cancer center as almost the site facing compliance manager. And they had mm-hmm. about mm, six to 700 FDA regulated oncology trials. So it was a deep, deep dive. Like I look back now and I'm like, wow, they hired me? (laughs) Like, whoa, what they were thinking. Um, And that was, I mean, I I already loved what I did. That just- It sounds like it was kind of right place, right time. It was. Unlike so many people in this world, you realized it was the right place at the right time. Where so many people, these opportunities are sitting right in front of them. And sometimes they just don't grasp it. And then they look back and think, Oh, and you I'd have to this. not be afraid. Like almost every position I held was the first time that position existed at my organization. It was, I, I was, I had created some credibility with a certain level of leadership. I was mm. in certain meetings where we were forecasting, talking about needs, thinking about, you know, where to go, um, looking at enforcement trends. And as we were brainstorming, I also knew how to frankly put myself in the mix and say, mm. wow, it looks like you're going to need a new office, a new role, someone to champion this, who's not going to be afraid to be the first one, right? There's not going to be a recipe. You're going to be flying blind. And yeah. uh, here's my resume, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I mean, someone called out shameless self-promotion, but you know, you got to fight for yourself. You're going to be your own best advocate. And, and- you know, I've, you know, I've, I massively agree with that. I've, in fact, I've done a post on LinkedIn yep. just, just this week, you know, saying that there's a ton of people on the job market right now. You know, if, if you want something, you need to be enthusiastic about it and go out there and, and get it because there's going to be tons of other people, you know, <laughs> either interviewing for these jobs, you know, or getting called about these jobs. So if you want something, you've got to say, look, I want this. I can do this give me a shot at it. Yep. And there can be no fear. Like, don't hold back. Don't Mm. hold back at all. And so it was, and it was scary. I mean, people are always like, wow, you have no fear. And I'm like, oh, I never said that. (laughs) I never said that I didn't come home and go, oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? Right. I'm not even saying now I don't have imposter syndrome. I think it's honestly validating to hear from industry professionals that, wow, 
you still get nervous sometimes or Ooh. you still wonder if you know what you're doing you know you still have those scary feelings it just didn't stop me from taking a step and so I just continued to say huh I see a need here what if I filled this need I think I have this skill set you know and really posited myself to open the door when opportunity knocked and it didn't always work out there were plenty of them that I was like oh what was I thinking whoa this yeah oh gosh okay I gotta get out of here (laughs) but you know the good comes with the bad right and what I learned along the way I mean was invaluable to be able to know at such a large enterprise not only all these enterprise wide research compliance mechanisms but Mm. then I mean you talk about deep dive oncology is intense I mean it is intense it moves so fast and we had a phase one program we are in the same city, literally down the street from Eli Lilly's global headquarters, as well as having Roche Diagnostics North American headquarters in our city. I mean, the competition is fierce. Mm. Um, there is no shortage of amazing clinical trial professionals in Indianapolis. Go figure, right? We, we have really good sports, the NCAA, and clinical trials. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just one of those spaces where I mean, there's a lot of us, like you said, fighting for the same jobs, you got to differentiate. So at any rate, I got to do all that at IU. It was absolutely amazing. I got to, to go back actually to the health law program that I didn't partake in while I was a student and start yeah. teaching. Um, because for me, I thought once I, once I made that right turn into the world, I'm a big education buff. And I thought, gosh, I just missed the boat. I need to go back and take some classes. Mm. And I found out actually a lot of the learning is on the job for a lot of different roles in clinical trials. Like there's, there's not one great manual on how to. Period, I think. Right. And so it was like, oh, you mean I already know more than what I could have learned from my professors? Well, then wait a minute. We can see the law school from the med school. Why, Why aren't we teaching a class on what we're doing? Because then people could learn. And guess what? We could also recruit <coughs> people, right? We could be in-housing great mm. students and picking the cream of the crop out of our program. So it was just one of those, you know, if you see gaps, you got to be willing to do the work to fill them if you want the opportunities to come your way. And so in 2017, I knew I was ready to make a jump. I had thought about consulting for a really long time. You know, I'd done it on the side because academia is great about allowing you to have a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. Um, but I was scared and I wasn't a business owner. I hadn't been an entrepreneur. That wasn't a skill set I had officially honed, right? And I don't have an MBA. I haven't taken a lot of business classes. That's not what I've learned has been on the job. And so I decided to start networking amongst different types of consulting firms in healthcare. Yeah. And someone made mention to me of first class because they said, look, even though they had, they don't have a strong life sciences presence, this is a 100% healthcare firm that's had a heavy presence in the industry since the late 80s. Uh, their ethos really matches you, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're about getting it done for the most reasonable price, you know, molding to the client needs, whether that's working remotely, working on site, hybrid, and getting the absolute experts on their team so that you can truly accomplish the task, leave the client more, you know, in a better place than how you found them and leave them self-sufficient. Like we're not about upselling. We're not about, you know, how many clients did you bring in this year? I mean, we obviously like paying our bills and covering the spread, but- Who first gave you the recommendation of, of, of first class? Who, who, cause normally when you network, <laughs> I always, I always, you know, I, I guess running a recruitment business and being a recruiter day to day. Yeah, networks everything. My memory is <laughs> insane sometimes. And I remember everything. So do you, I'm, I'm sure you probably do as well. Yeah. You know, so you'll laugh, you'll laugh. Mm. It was my dad. Wow. So my dad is a general surgeon who mm-hmm. went into uh, tort reform for medical malpractice and yeah. campaign finance reform um, as like a side job that then he suddenly left his general surgery practice to do when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And then actually went back to law school and got his uh, law degree as well as his business degree and became a chief medical officer yeah. quality and compliance for clinical care at a time before chief medical officer was like a standard position in the C-suite. Mm. Like I remember him just like not even having an office at one hospital. They, they, they didn't really have a title for him. They just knew if it was a compliance problem, you, you went to him. He was your guy. Yeah. Now chief medical officer is standard issue, standard issue. I mean, there's I not, a C-suite. Say, yeah, I kind of, yeah, there's I know not a C-suite that doesn't have it. And he mm. had brought in first class because the, the focus of first class was on revenue cycle management. It developed broadly then into quality management, compliance as it related to all the billing 
Um, I obviously I see nine and 10. And then of course, HIPAA hit here in the 90s. So the, the privacy component, the security and privacy that comes with HIPAA is huge, has a massive implication. And so health information management software and systems that were compliant. So they'd worked across all these different spaces. And he was at uh, one of his many engagements in hospitals yeah. and wanted, and, and it wasn't so much, oh, they're affordable, oh, they're cheap. He's like, no, I need to know these people are business. I need mm-hmm. to know they will come in and they will uncover everything because I want them to find it, not a regulator, not an auditor, right? And I want a chance to fix it. I want a chance to do it right. And he was so forever impressed with them. And he knew, like I said, that I was talking to all these different consulting firms. And he said, you know, I, I, I kept a really good rapport with that firm. I was so impressed with them. Uh, I've even actually done some work for them. Like we really had a good relationship. I just think you should talk to their COO. She was one of the co-founders. She's super savvy with business. She just might be the first networking step. Um, and my dad and I actually share a lot in business. I mean, like I seriously probably call him once a week and likewise, especially with the last year yeah. and being in a hospital setting with COVID, having a lot of FDA questions. He's like, uh, do you know what this EUA thing is? You know, so we, <laughs> we actually get to work in that environment. And so, I mean, that was that I was on the phone with my bot, my now boss for 45 minutes talking up and basically, am I crazy to think that research compliance consulting could be a full-time career? Mm. Uh, I, I want to do what I do best, but my issues were twofold. I want to do it on my own terms. Uh, I'm, I'm big on autonomy as a lot of high producers are, right? Mm. Um, I really don't need the micromanagement. I can't keep fighting, you know, one sticky work situation after it's another. Most, like the I, most, I'm oh, it's so frustrating. I'm a producer and, and micromanager. It's, it's, you and right. I have discussed it before, haven't we? It's just, it's oh a- yeah. We could have a whole podcast on that, right? Mm. And so it was like, I, I just want to work for someone who appreciates that. I want to do really good work. I want to work my butt off and I want to get right down to it. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste time going back and forth. We shouldn't be exchanging 14 emails to be like, well, should James do the audit? Should I do the audit? Well, I don't know. No, I don't have time for that. Mm. Just get down to it. Get the work done. Uh, and so I needed a new environment. I was also moving into a different season of life, becoming a mom, et cetera. You know, so I wanted a little more flexibility. Yeah. Um, but I don't, and my only complaint from a subject matter expert of all my different roles at IU, because again, I got really broad exposure. I was very blessed and I, I'm very grateful for that, uh, was you get pigeonholed at least for a year or two at a time on a very specific project. And I would rather have clients across the entire gamut of what I'm good at so that mm-hmm. I'm constantly being challenged like, oh, today you're writing SOPs. Today you're working with an IRB. Today, you're working with a clinical trial team. Today, you're working with a sponsor. So that you're constant, you know what I mean? So you're firing all the synapses all the time and you don't ever get so deep in one set of weeds that you block out or don't pay attention, right? To the other part. Yeah, and you like that flexibility. You thrive off that. You like getting- The excitement. It's the excitement. done pretty much, right? Absolutely. (laughs) That is my favorite thing to do. Give Um, Give me a list that I get to check off. So that was that. I was on the phone for 45 minutes with Rose. I was- I was networking and at the end she said, uh, so you wanna, you wanna come to first class and start a life sciences oh, compliance offering? And I said, are you serious? <laughs> what? <laughs> she was like, yeah, I think you'd be a really good fit. I think you'd be a really good fit for the firm. And you know, we set it up initially high risk, high reward so that both yeah. of us were safe, right? And it just blossomed. You know, That first year or two was slow and painful, um, but I will say the last year has been, a, a, a year and a half has just been insane, right? In the most blessed of ways. Um, some because COVID, you know, you have a completely different client base, completely different need. And it's very different to, for the first time in my professional career in well over a decade, be actually doing something that people know, right? Like I can say now when someone says, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm in clinical trials. And they're like, Oh, wow. Cool. And you're like, wow. If I said that a year ago, you would have been like, huh? Not cool. Right. Like, (laughs) are you like a doctor or something? What? (laughs) Um, and now, you know, it's on the evening news. Mm. And, and so it's, it's been this really interesting year. Like I say to my husband, I said, on the one hand, incredibly educational, transformative year for clinical trials. So excited to be in it in such a pivotal time. Mm. Um, also, oh my God, am I somehow profiting off a global pandemic? That doesn't feel good, right? But at the same time, who do I want at the wheel during a time like this? Yeah. Taking care of clinical trial sites. I want myself and my team because mm. I trust them. I know we're out there doing the right thing. Um, so it's, it has a 
whole lot of different, you know, emotions and feels this year, I think with it, but man, it's exciting. I sure love it. It's so how, how does it go for you now in terms of, yeah. say, like, uh, I mean, there is no typical day by the sounds of it. <laughs> No, there never was. <laughs> at the moment, there, there is no typical day. Um, I know so from, even from a recruitment perspective, the, the requirements that we get in, it's it's changing overnight. I could speak to oh, them. Yeah. They might completely say, James, you know, we're not interested, nothing at the moment. I'm like, okay, look, no worries, but keep in touch because you never know when it changes. And the next yeah. day I get a phone call. Um, it's... It's just it has been, there are projects, closer, it? it's... right, and there are projects that I, like, I've never even marketed myself for, but mm -hmm. someone thought of me this year, you know, like, um, I was just the other day talking to a group of folks who are in the technology industry, it, you know, they're not new to life sciences or healthcare, but they recognize that the COVID environment has changed how we're performing clinical trials, we're using more remote modalities, and frankly, we're starting to have that conversation with vaccination increasing, with our thought process being, we might wrap our arms firmly around COVID in the next six to nine months, hopefully, of course, um, that do we want to go back to what we were doing before? Or do we want to embrace what was thrust upon us in terms of technology, but they need like, you know, market research. They need some industry experts to say, hey, this is saturated and it's done well. Don't, don't pivot there, pivot here. This, mm. this, you know, maybe it's a data capture system. Maybe it's a trial management software. Maybe, you know, and, and there's a, diff a lot of different ways to go with that. And so it's been interesting in that I've had clients that were already kind of the norm for me, you know, helping yeah. manage compliance at a clinical research site, um, small, medium, large, going in, doing training, education. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you've had, you know, a, a bad audit finding and you need a little help, you know, getting back to center. Mm. Uh, or you want some operational advice, right? How to maximize resources, productivity, how to restructure something with your yeah. site network. So like all of that's routine for me, but the questions they're asking, the fact that every single one of them now is saying, so how do I use technology? Instead of how do I please stay on paper? Which is like, ah, you know, I mean, I can't believe we were still having that conversation in 2020, but we were. Um, and so like, that's been huge, but then having these new types of projects, like someone in the network reaching out and going, Hey, you know, I'm a business development person mm. and I have a marketing degree. So I know how to have this conversation with these clients, but I'm not a clinical trial expert. So yeah. I want you in my ear going, no, yes, no, yes. This is what we need to do. Here's who you need to talk to. And then I will siphon it through the appropriate business and marketing channels, mm -hmm. but I, and, and to be approached for like market research or a big one, a big ask I got this year was folks who are, are either already interested in clinical trials, but hadn't quite pivoted professionally into the industry yeah. the way they wanted, or maybe they lost their job, right? Maybe they were forced to pivot, mm. but they had like a killer data background or biostats or uh, you know, high level organizational coordination. Maybe they were a nurse in a different space yeah. and they didn't, maybe, maybe they were a nurse in the ICU and they burned Just out. Utilizing their transferable skills to get right. into of, of trials. Exactly. And help to exactly. Take that. So it sounds like in terms of how things are going, I, I always ask everyone when I, I have them on the show is busy. In one <laughs> yes. Right. yes. I mean, busier than I could have ever hoped, but with the coolest, most interesting projects, like I said, I mean, I, I, and I'll even tell people, I, I should be clear, you know, I'm not a recruiter. I can put you in touch with people like yourself and my network. Mm. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'll have you put me in touch with that person. What I want to learn is about the industry and about how to rebrand myself. And I want someone like yourself to do it. And it's just been some interesting approaches, right? Um, from, from client asks in that regard in a way that never thought about it. The other thing- pretty cool if you get approached from all these different people to, to get your inside spin on things, right? And, and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a compliment. Like in, in a way, I guess you've talked about, you know, um, working at IU and doing some of the teaching access aspects previously. I guess I know that in my former roles and as a sort of business leader, when you end up teaching people, you find that you, there's areas that you think, oh, shit, I'm, I, I didn't know, I didn't know that as well as I thought I did. Or, <laughs> right. or you're like, you start to just get better at it because teaching mm -hmm. is the best way to learn. It is. Oh my gosh. That's what I used to do. I remember in high school holding like a study session, like I was a teacher because mm. I needed to learn something. Right. And if I taught my friends, then I had to know it. You just put yourself um, on that, that level yep. above that you're like, okay. Like, and almost as you're explaining it, it's 
reinforcing it in your own mind and it's just amazing how it, it well, works and i think this has been a big year of education in the sense of whether it's because it was thrust upon you and you had no choice but to pivot and just get in there and figure it out how to keep you know trials going during covid how to do covid research pivoting into a new industry whatever it looks like mm. the other part that i think that was actually a win for 2020 is as someone who traveled a lot prior to 2020, I mean, again, I worked with my clients. If we could work remotely, we mm. would try to save them money. Well, you know, let me have a family life. But admittedly, you're on the road. Um, you know, there's plenty of client engagements that do demand your, your in-person presence. And I was asked to come speak and do a lot of education and training, which is almost always in person. And of course, you're attending conferences and doing all the networking and business development. And that's fun. I mean, I'm not suggesting you can replace um, you know, networking over a, a drink after a great conference session. There's something to be said. Oh, you can't that. replace that. <laughs> you can't, you can't. But because I didn't <coughs> travel and because everything went virtual, I probably did four times as much education, both attending as well as presenting mm. this year than I did in any other year. Um, and it was, it was a really different feel because on the one hand, I wasn't leaving the house. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was doing what I'm doing with you right now. So it yeah. didn't feel like a conference. It didn't feel like a speaking engagement, but I could do one every week. I could do mm. two a week. Heck I could do two in one day if I wanted to. Yeah. And so you had this opportunity to learn more, to share more, to in a way network more, right. From this learning perspective. And you have, I mean, no shortage of audiences who are hungry um, as well as you are hungry because COVID's, it's a game changer and how we're doing research in it is a game changer. And so you're having to learn as you're teaching, right? And you're literally learning at the same time that you're teaching, like you said. And so it was just a really different year in that regard. Mm. I, hope we don't, I hope we don't lose that. I mean, I think there's, a, there's something to be said for still offering some virtual options um, if people want to continue going to conferences in person, like I said, there's value in that too. But, it, you know, and the same thing with teaching, like at the law school, you know, doing everything virtually. I mean, I definitely miss getting to see my students. I know they sorely miss some of the interaction. But at the same time, I know some of my students have been able to take on more responsibilities, be different places in the United States because they know things are happening virtually. Yeah. Um, it's helped them to have a sense of control in their own lives, you know, and autonomy in their own lives and manage themselves. Mm. Um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting pivot in our industry because again, I mean, you know, you know it more than I do. We do rely on networking. We do rely on contacts for clients. Um, and it's the biggest ask actually I've gotten at, especially my law students who are about to graduate because they were so used to having in-person networking and they yeah. haven't. And so now they're terrified. I'm going to hit the market and no one's going to even know I exist. And I'm like, well, well but you're I mean, like it's, it's crazy. Gen Z. You live on social media. You post everything you do on Insta. What do you mean you won't be known? Mm. Just get on LinkedIn and start changing it's, your brand. It's, it's crazy sometimes when I, when I hear that. I mean, because I mean, you're you're speaking to me. We recruit in the US. I'm based yep. in London. Um, you know, we've always kind of worked this way. Yes, we've taken on new technologies. You know, with you know video introductions, voice notes, and, and things on LinkedIn. Like, there's so many things out there now, and you know, I was a bit of a, a tech dinosaur until it all kicked in and it's accelerated, you know, oh. my openness to it. And that's probably one of the big challenges that I faced was just this acceptance of the new technologies. Yes, we absolutely, use, but not to the level that, that I am now. Um, right. I've learned that about myself. I mean, for yourself, what would you say have been the, the biggest maybe challenges at your end, whether it's been processes, furlough, working from home? Right. You know, how the, how, the, right. how the recruitment landscape has, has changed for anyone that you've been dealing with? It's changed. So I'll tell you, it's a few <coughs> different things, a few different layers. It's changed if I had to paint the picture of my perfect client, like my dream client. It's changed that a little bit in the sense of now I'm embracing and wanting to work with more tech forward facing clients because, mm -hmm. because we get to explore so many opportunities. It's because exciting, like you right? said, Right. It's super. And every one of them's like, oh, have you heard of or I need a vendor for. So I get a really good excuse to dive in out there. Mm. And and the deep end is deep right now. Right. Like 2020 brought us out of that dinosaur age, forced us out of that dinosaur age. 
And that's not to say, oh my goodness, that I wouldn't of course work with a client who didn't have all that tech at their fingertips, mm. but I would never a year ago have thought about the difference. Like I would've been like, okay, you're on paper. I mean, I'm gonna advise you to use technology, but sure, let's work. Whereas, oh, you're doing everything tech forward and you're doing fully decentralized trials. Well, that's cool too. Gosh, that's probably gonna require a lot of extra work. I don't, yeah, I mean, it's just a pivot yeah. in how exciting it is. I think the other part of it is, and I said this at the beginning of 2020, this was like the year of regulatory for me because people love, 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 love to say that the reason they won't let go of paper is the FDA, part 11 compliance. Oh, the IRB would never approve, you know, the ethics review board would never approve a decentralized trial. Oh, the FDA will never accept our data. Bullshit. Mm. It was always crap. The FDA came out in January of 2019 and straight up said, we need to take trials to where the patients are, wherever that is. We need more focus on, you know, rural health, marginalized populations, mm. folks that are not going to walk themselves into a major academic or medical center hub because that's not where they're located or that's not where they're comfortable or frankly, that's not where they have their access to care. Yeah. So, so you're missing, you're missing the population. And it was, it wasn't obviously with 2020 and a global pandemic in mind, it was with the diversification of research, but I was jumping up and down as someone who lives and breathes compliance and has to live down all of the, you know, red tape rumors about us out there. Yeah. I would hear client after client say that. And I was like, no, no, that's not accurate. Tell me what you want to do. And then we'll talk about where and how we need to tweak it to ensure safety and get approval. But no, that was never an issue. And so I love, I love, love, love that frankly, I mean, from the perspective of regulation and auditing and QA, the FDA, man, they lived up to what they said for us in the United States mm. this year, as did the EU, frankly, in terms of saying, yeah, you need us to pivot. You need us to, for example, HIPAA compliance, say that, you know, we will allow you to use whatever remote modality communication you need during this crisis to talk to your patients so you have mm. access. We're not going to audit you and make sure it was a 100% compliant platform. Now, two years from now, when COVID's calmed down, we will, because we expect you to get a handle on things. Yeah. And that's fair. But they really put their money where their mouth was. They backed off a lot of regulations that made things easier. They've openly talked about, frankly, making some of that permanent because it's helped our industry so much. And folks that, you know, one year ago would have told you, I love my paper. You're not getting me to use that darned technology are now doing Hybrid decentralized trials. Mm -hmm. So it's it kind of it's been mutually beneficial. It's us up. That they have been collaborating more and just being like, I, I don't know how to say in the, in the real world, we just say it's, it's reasonable. It's yes, reasonable. exactly. It's, it's absolutely reasonable. And instead of taking 10 years to decide whether or not we're going to knock down a telehealth, you know, modality and platform regulation across different states, it took 10 minutes, mm. you know? And, and so there was, there, there, there was some stuff that, you know, regardless of your politics in any country or space you're in, I was proud that the government stepped in and did. And I think that's one of the pieces from the clinical trial industry we've got to hold on to in terms of, you know, let's say it's a, a perfect, bright and shiny summer this summer and the whole world's vaccinated and COVID's a distant memory. That doesn't mean we should go backwards. Mm. I mean, that doesn't mean because some of the unintended consequences or benefits of having to go so remote um, are game changers. You know, you read all these great articles across industries about, you know, the days of the live office. Is it coming back? Is it not? Ooh. What are we gonna do, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and so it's it's not just our industry, but I think because of it, because it, we, I mean, what would have taken clinical trials another five to seven years to really wrap their arms around, it happened. It's We're there, we have arrived, it's happening. And then to see, to hear all that fodder from the regulators saying, please do this, please do this. I promise we'll approve it. Then to actually have them approve it and actually get on board with it and reward it by approving a vaccine faster than you know any other vaccine globally in the history of healthcare. I mean, I think that sends a really strong message to, from that compliance industry to that scientific part of the industry saying, we have your back. You yeah. know, we, we really do. While we are immersed in our red tape, it's really because we care about safety. It's yeah. not because we were ever trying to slow you down. And I think there's a lot that's been learned from the, even just like the contracting angle, the, the business perspective of ways to have better effective communication, 
whether it be between, you know, sponsor and site, site patient, whatever it looks like mm. to move this along faster. The idea that you're just going to sit and take a year to negotiate a contract isn't acceptable. And yeah. for me, it's one of those, it never was. I was never okay with that. That's why I wanted to do things a different way and be in my own business. Um, but now it's industry-wide not acceptable, right? Yeah. And so it's like, everyone's, wow, everyone's our just eyes kind of, are open. Yeah, well, yeah, everyone's, I was just about to say, woke up a little bit. Yep. Yep. Um, but look, well, I guess while we're sort of touching on, on, the, on the vaccines, I know that yeah. between myself, my partner, you know, friends and family, people ask you, right? You, you work in the industry okay. and they're like, okay, James, tell me what's what's the deal with these vaccines in in the UK at the moment? Where everyone's harping on about the fact that the UK and you know I don't want to go political with it, but sure. um, the UK uh, the UK government, are they going to mandate it? Are they not? Uh, where and what cutting the dosage to increase the supply because of the yep. lagging supply chain and this and the other? You know what are your you know, general thoughts on the vaccine in itself and its yep. you know, distribution and, and things. We won't we won't go down the right. political route, but uh, no, no, no. I'm with you on that because that man, that's a landmine, right? Um, in any country, uh, as well as globally. But I'll tell you, a, a, a great, great friend, colleague, and longtime mentor um, and former boss of mine, who I continue to get to work with in the consulting capacity, and it's such a blessing in my life. She said it last fall when we were working on a project and we had just taken you know a few moments break um just to discuss life and she said you know i know that folks are really upset right they get one safety message today of how long to quarantine and it changes next mm. week or we get one prediction on when the vaccine is going to be available and how efficacy um efficacious it's going to be and then it changes the next day and people feel very disheartened or uncertain or shaky the reality is this is always how we've done science Mm. This is always how clinical trials have been performed. This is the scientific method. It's the same scientific method you and I learned, you know, in primary school and university, right? Um, it's just that it's never been this publicly played out because yeah. we've never, we haven't faced this level of a pandemic where folks across industries otherwise not connected would be paying this close of attention. And frankly, the news and media sources aren't normally reporting, right, with this veracity. It's oh, not it's, daily it's, news. It's, it's, yeah, phenomenal at the moment, is it? You can right. get away from it, really. No, I mean, and some of that's bad. Some of that from my, the, the emotional resilience in me is like, man, you need a break. You need to go I, somewhere I, where I, like, I, I, I try not to watch the news a lot. Yeah, don't, like, you got to take breaks. But it's hard. I mean, even if you're like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk. Then you go in the neighborhood and you see people with masks on. And, and it, you're immediately thinking about it, right? Like, it's very hard to get away. So there's, there's a lot of EQ. That would be my one thing that's been hard about being so remote, you asked yeah. earlier, is I'm a big believer in EQ, emotional resilience, understanding what's appropriate for each situation, meeting mm. clients where they're at. And you can't do that always remotely. You can do really well at it, but you can't do it as well. There are some situations you need to be in person and that's just not plausible right now. And that's tough. But yeah. having said all that, I think that's it. Is the scientific method played out? It played out faster because we had an impetus, because we had federal governments, because we had countries, because we had global attention, we did speed it up. We did go faster than four years. I think what a lot of folks don't understand is the way the scientific method works, the way the clinical trial phases work, you, you, know, you have a subset population that you begin with. And the difference between quote unquote, you know, former vaccines and today, the, the easiest way to describe it is that instead of waiting until we've actually studied this in these different subset populations, rolling it out faster in that almost phase three state, right? Yeah. And that's why certain populations in certain spaces, frankly, aren't even eligible for vaccination yet, right? Like our children, not eligible. There's mm. almost, I don't know of uh, anywhere in the UK or the United States that they're offering child vaccinations yet, yet, because no. they're still wrapping up that study piece. That doesn't mean that what has been studied wasn't done well, wasn't done effectively. As I lovingly told a friend completely outside of the healthcare industry earlier today, you know, the average vaccine, like the flu, for example, mm. or some of the vaccines we rely on heavily for, you know, our children that we are, uh, most folks accept readily and are okay with receiving or having their family members receive, actually have much, much lower efficacy rates than the vaccines we're seeing from Moderna and Pfizer. I mean, the Moderna and Pfizer, we're, we're talking, especially after two doses, and I know there's a lot of controversy about going down to one for supply issues, but 
after two doses, you're talking about 90% efficacy. It's unheard of in most vaccine populations. So the reality is we, we did do it faster. We did do it really well, but it's still the scientific method playing out in real time. Yeah. There are just some populations that haven't been studied yet. Um, it hasn't been the vaccine itself, even the populations that have been studied. You know, people don't realize that when you're in phase three, with a certain amount of benefit being shown and having hit certain safety marks, you can start treating certain populations. It's just you don't see it widely distributed the way we're doing it now, usually till you're more into that phase four, phase five. And yeah. it had a chance for so many people to take it that you really have seen like every potential adverse reaction. Mm. And people really underestimate how hard that is. I mean, you're talking about, even if you restrict and say, okay, I'm only gonna study people from 30 to 50. Okay, what ethnicity? What healthcare conditions can they have? So what about gender? Yeah. What about smoking status? What about, I mean, to, to normalize that across that many groups is actually a ton of work and it's very hard. And we are gonna see some adverse effects. You know, even as we've begun to administer it, we've seen some people have some allergic reactions, you know, mm-hmm. learned about it. That's part of the scientific method. Um, as my dad always lovingly said, and I really appreciated that he said this growing up, you know, we work really hard in medicine. Um, we always want to provide the, the highest quality, the best care, save the patient, you know, highest quality of life. But the reality is we don't always know for sure, hundred percent empirically why some things work and why they don't, mm. why one patient responds to a treatment and another doesn't. And so there is a certain amount of uncertainty still in healthcare. And, and with the whole world watching, whoo, that's a microscope. Yeah. That's a, you know, the, the, the bandwidth for any type of error just got even smaller than it already was. Um, but I think, you know, for me, it's a matter of, I, I'm, I'm on board for the vaccine. Um, I, my greater concern about the vaccine, I mean, I think you, right now you're still in the phase of adoption, getting people comfortable and frankly, distribution and supply. I mean, yeah. you can't even get it to all the people who are like, please, please, I want it. Right. Mm. So there's, there's a supply demand economic issue there. That's going to take some time. There's some science about whether or not we can get away with one dose versus two, that's going to change that. There's uh, some very strong ethical arguments and scientific arguments about, you know, should we be focusing on age risk populations, like going into skilled nursing facilities and doing them first, or should we start with school teachers and kids so that we can get school back to normal so that parents, you know, I mean, there's, and there's arguments. I I hear all of them. um, And I definitely experience many of them, right, as a, as a human in all of this. Um, But the reality is, I think that we're really, truly closer than we give ourselves credit for. Um, to having a decent amount of individuals globally vaccinated. And, that, and, and once you see more and more individuals become vaccinated safely, tell their loved ones, push the agenda, um, and you see, I mean, you know, again, not to go political, but like there's going to be about to be a change of administration in the United States, which sets a different tone. It's it, inevitably, whether you are, you know, right, left, right down the middle, yeah. uh, it's gonna be a change because it's just a different administration. And so I'm interested to see, you know, if that changes the tone, the response at all, because there's something to be said for that. The federal government funds in the United States over 90% of our research. Yeah. So the tone they set, and frankly, some of the amazing public health experts they have access to, we need to be paying attention to what they say. Mm. I just think we can't, believe that, oh, once we all get vaccinated, bulletproof, we need to be mindful. It's not, it it didn't come on that quickly. It's not going to go away that quickly. That's not how viruses work, especially with mutations not present. And the other piece of it is you can only even get to the, the false hope argument of bulletproof if everyone's taking the vaccine. So that is going to require adoption. You know yeah, what I'm saying? And the communication of how it all comes across. But but all in, uh, Edie, it sounds as though you're certainly on the, the positive side. Of I'm the, on the positive you know, side. That, I'm good. on the all in yeah, side. I guess, um, you know, there's so many people out there that, that, that are worried that aren't in the world of, of clinical trials. And it's good to hear it from a compliance. It's scary. It's like really scary. It's scary. To say, actually, you know what, actually, this is how it normally plays out. Yeah. You know, so And that's the part I would tell people is... Right. Stay positive, stay optimistic, but also, and, and know that healthcare, you know, like telehealth that you've been doing with your doctors, that may be the future. And frankly, that may be a really positive thing that comes out of all this. So let's, let's keep our eye on the prize. Let's stay positive, but let's also not have any false expectations that we're not going to hit some speed bumps because we are every treatment, 
every treatment across every therapeutic area has hit speed bumps along the way. Everyone who's in clinical research will tell you they've been a part of, you know, some research, some trial, whether it's, it's clinical trial, whether it's bench research, preclinical that didn't yield the results that you were hoping for. And while that's a huge disappointment, it's also just as important, right? It's just as important as, as the ones that do. And there are so many different treatments, you know, investigational agents that we never even see hit the market because they never make it. Mm. So the idea that we're going to, in record time, while completely shut down, crank out the perfect vaccine is idealistic. That is unrealistic. We are going to see the scientific method play out. There will be some adverse reactions. It will take more time in certain populations to be safe. Um, that doesn't mean we should stop. That doesn't mean yeah. we should stop trying, right? That doesn't that doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. And frankly, that we're deviating from from the course. If anything, I think we're we're pressing it even faster and harder ahead. Um, I I honestly, from the EQ angle, what I do worry about, and and it's not to be pessimistic, is I mean, we got some some record burnout coming our way, right? Those of us in the industry, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not even you know frontline ICU treating COVID patients. I mean, folks are tired. Folks are tired. It has been brutal. It has been a rough go all over the world. Um, So I think that, you know, there is going to be a breaking point in 2021 where, where people have to take a breath. They have to take a beat. Um, And I just hope that doesn't, doesn't have any detrimental impact. I don't think it will because the folks in our industry are so passionate and so serious but yeah they're, they're resilient and, and they're working right. for a good cause but that, oh uh, yeah but that doesn't change that man we are all really tired i know i posted something on linkedin not too long ago and i felt kind of silly because mm. i'm big about like you know i'm posting articles information um you know hey here's my next talk that's coming up like all the yeah. typical really credible information you want to see on linkedin branding and i just was so burned out that particular day and so i took this like video of myself And like in one moment, I'm like, oh man, I'm so grateful. I work in such a cool industry. I'm so excited. Got so much great work on my plate. And then like the next clip of the video is me like putting my head on my desk, like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. (laughs) And I just posted it and said like, for a moment, you know, all my clinical research peeps out there, no matter where you are in the industry, all my healthcare people, anyone else feel like this right now? And I swear it had like a few thousand views. (laughs) <laughs> in, like, in like a few hours like all these people are like yes and I was like oh my gosh I'm actually really glad I that I owned that. that you know like, because last week I was I was like that you know it's just it was just crazy busy and I, like my, when I hit my head hit the pillow each night I was just out done um, yeah but like I guess look, on, on that note we all <laughs> we all yeah we all work hard you know but at the same time we all like to have a break you know there's yeah. Edens, the, the compliance master um, <laughs> you know, strong, strong female in business. Uh, but look, what do, what do you do before we wrap up here? You know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Relax so, and enjoy yourself. I love, love, love telling folks. They always get such a huge kick out of two really fun facts about myself. My husband is always oh, like, amazing. you have, to, I love you have to, yeah, he's like, you have to promise me you will always tell anyone you work with this about you because uh-huh. it's so not who you are when you're working and they never see the side of you. Um, so one, I'm actually a massive introvert. Um, my ideal day is like literally not making contact with other humans, which I'm, <laughs> I, people are always like, wait, no, what? But you can't ever shut up. And I'm like, I didn't say I don't enjoy people, or, you know, or that it's not fun, but I, I'm a true hardcore introvert. Mm. Um, so, you know, peace, quiet. I think that's been one of the hardest parts during all this is, you know, having your kids home from school, having your spouse who normally works outside of the home. Yeah, um, working at home, like suddenly that little bit of sanity introvert time that I could claim during the day so that I could pivot into mom and partner life in the evenings and the weekends, it's kind of gone. Um, I was blessed that I already worked from home a lot and that I already worked remotely a lot. So I really already understood those boundaries. I had, I had transversed through that for three years before all this happened. Mm. Um, but I hadn't done it with everybody at home. <laughs> yeah. So like that, that, that part of it. The other fun fact about me is, um, so I, I'm like a really crazy hippie, James. Like if I'm not work mode, makeup on, suit pressed, completely high the heels, I'm like at a bluegrass concert, barefoot, running around in the grass, like just having a drink and Would dancing. Not like have it. called that at all. <laughs> It is, it's just me or has seen me do that is like, <laughs> that, yeah, I'm, 
There's a few of us out there, though. I'll tell you, there's it's it's funny uh, in my neck of the woods how often I'm at one of those type of you know concerts, music events, gatherings, and I'm trying to be all lowbrow because I'm not work ed, right? And I look over and like I know him. Wait, I work with him. Like, wait a minute, you know. And so I think there's something to be said for it. Um, it's just it's to me that is how I shut it off, right? Yeah. Like to just it's almost like having a, a an um what do they call it like a like an avatar or like an ulterior yeah. persona. You know what mm. I mean? Like where I get to not be on and I get to not be polished and perfect and I get to wear whatever I want and just be relaxed, relax. right? And yeah. just really, really. Because for me, relaxing is hard. I, I, I can't turn my brain off, even if I am physically going through the paces of, you know, picking my kid up from school, making dinner, et cetera. I'm still thinking about that last call, that last client, that problem I didn't get solved today. Um, and so I need like a complete change, right? To be like, no, Edie's off. Like, yeah. like Edie, Eden's the compliance professional will be back Monday morning at 8 a.m. <laughs> but it's funny because people get in my car, they come to my house and they're like, you know, they see some posters or they see a picture of me and I'm like, um, or my brother-in-law the other day asked, he was like, but for your birthday being in COVID, what were you going to do this summer? You mentioned, you know, and I was like, oh, I asked my husband to get childcare so I could go to a hippie festival for three days. And my, <laughs> even my own family was like, really? I was like, oh, it's my favorite thing to do. And they're like, they must have thought you were joking. I mean, oh yeah! Oh, he totally did. He was yeah, like, "Wait, you're you're you really know, like you're serious business stuff. professional, you know, a hundred miles an hour sometimes." And it's just, yeah, not. But everybody has a different way of releasing. I was gonna say, so no. that's that's me. That's me, and it it works. It's like magic. It's like magic. A good beer and some bluegrass. Great stuff. Well, look, Edie, thank you so much for coming on to the oh. awesome podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And look, thank for you for having me. Want to reach out to you, having listened to the show. Yeah. Is that, is that the best place? Yep. LinkedIn, Edie, middle initial T, Edens. You can find me there. Uh, the website for our firm is firstclasssolutions.com. Mm -hmm. It's plural. Uh, and you can always email me, edie.edens at firstclasssolutions as well. Um, feel free to reach out. And, and back at you, James, you, you guys have a phenomenal recruiting agency. If you guys haven't checked out uh, James and his team, you are missing out. These guys go faster than I do. Um, and they're phenomenal. So it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I know with the time difference, it's hard. Um, so I really appreciate it. No worries. Look, it's, it's been a pleasure. Look, you have a cracking day. Okay, you too. Go have a wonderful weekend. All right, bye-bye.